Welcome to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. This podcast brings you teaching and preaching from our archives, and you can find more resources, audio, video, and books at unionpublishing.org. Let's move on to look at redemption. For the evangel of God we saw in Romans is news concerning his son, which is why Paul was decided to know nothing among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, to be faithful to the gospel, Paul says, means treating Christ and his redeeming death and resurrection as matters of first importance, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, none of that may sound very surprising. You may say, well, isn't such Christ-centeredness mere Christianity? Yes, I think it is. And yet, through the centuries, Christians have kept managing to downgrade Jesus, uh, cast him in their own image, use him to sell some other agenda. So it was said of the uh, liberal theologian Adolf von Harnack that the Christ Harnack sees looking back through 19 centuries of Catholic darkness is only the reflection of a liberal Protestant face seen at the bottom of a deep well. In other words, the Christ he saw was just a reflection of himself. He thought that's what Jesus must be like. That's not the evangelical way. Evangelicals look to scripture to know Christ and there they find the unique son of God glorious, glorious in his exclusive identity, and then we'll see completely sufficient as a savior. Now, let's think about his identity, first of all. The Gospel of John, John 1, shows us the eternal word who is God, one who is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so in John 1, we see John shows us that Christ has an identity no human teacher or savior figure in any other belief system in the world has. And on that identity, the gospel stands, because if there is no eternal son, God's not really a father. He couldn't give us the right to be his children. If Christ didn't have this unique identity, he doesn't have the ability to bring us into the bosom of the father. A mere creature couldn't share what the son shares. So Christ's identity is absolutely exclusive. And that shapes the gospel. It means for all our sinful strivings, nothing can or need add to him or his work. We have no need for any other prophet to provide us with a new revelation, no other priest to mediate between us and God, no other king to rule his church. As scripture alone is our supreme authority, Christ alone is our only hope. And only through him do we know the glory of the living triune God. But as well as his exclusive identity we need to see that just as the perfect nature of God ensures the perfection of his word 
the perfect nature of Christ ensures the perfection of his work. The gracious acts of God in revelation and redemption are complete in Christ. And that being the case, Jude can write of Jude 3, the faith that was once for all. Uh, the word there is hapax in Greek, once for all offered to bear the sins of many. Um, sorry, sorry, uh, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And, and 1 Peter 3.18, Peter writes that Christ was offered again, hapax, once to bear the sins of many. So there is this word hapax um, that is an important evangelical word. I'm going to show it to you and show you a few ways in which it's used. Um, the word hapax or ephapax is a word used frequently in the New Testament of the work of Christ, um, especially in Hebrews, as it contrasts the repeated and so insufficient sacrifices of the law with the single and so sufficient sacrifice of Christ. And I've got here on the slide uh, a few examples of this once for all sufficient work of Christ. And what these verses show is, well, here we are right at the heart of what makes the good news good. Because Christ's redemptive work is entirely sufficient, the gospel is God's kind work of rescue, not his mere offer of assistance. The gospel is not a call for the strong and the good to prove themselves. It's a call for the weak and the bad to prove the depths of the mercy of Christ. And so redemption is accomplished by Christ alone. Papax, once for all. It needs no topping up from us. And it's not just Christ's death. Those verses were primarily about Christ's death. All of Christ's redemptive work is achieved without our contributing to it. And that actually is one reason why evangelicals have historically been so eager to defend the virgin birth, because the virgin birth emphasizes the miraculous nature of our salvation. So Mary did not produce the savior of the world by herself. No human produced the savior. He was an unearned gift of God given in the power of the spirit. In other words, we've not joined God and man together. Salvation has not come from human effort or desire, but from heaven. So from his virgin birth to his resurrection and ascension, we do nothing. Christ has done it all. But it is Christ's death which is central to his redeeming work. It is the hour for which he came into the world. It's his broken body and blood that, by which he wished to be remembered by his disciples. And so it is a classically evangelical thing to say with Paul, Galatians 6.14, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why evangelicals love to belt out the sort of words that Charles Wesley wrote to capture the meaning of Jesus' dying word 
it is finished. It is finished, the Messiah dies, cut off for sins but not his own, completed is the sacrifice, the great redeeming work is done, said Wesley. It is finished, all the debt is paid, justice divine is satisfied, the grand and full atonement made, God for a guilty world has died. And Wesley's words actually express there a classically evangelical understanding of the cross. Evangelicals see that scripture speaks uh, of many facets to the cross. On the cross, we see the glory and love of God displayed. On the cross, Christ triumphs over the forces of evil. However, the cross is not primarily about stirring us with the love of God or defeating Satan. From Genesis 3 on, the big question in scripture has been, how can sinners, the children of Adam and Eve, be reconciled to God? The big problem has been, as, Rome, as Paul puts it in Romans 1.18, the wrath of God at sin. And so from the Passover in Exodus 12, through to the sacrifices of the law, the solution to the problem has always been a substitute bearing the penalty of our sins in our place. Christ died for us in our place so that justice divine might be satisfied. And Romans 5, we might be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, if Christ's redeeming work is really entirely sufficient, there's nothing for us to add. We have only to receive God's salvation with simple faith and simple faith alone. And evangelicals have therefore seen justification by faith alone, which was the issue of the Reformation, as the litmus test of belief in the sufficiency of Christ as Redeemer. Now, Luther um, said uh, of justification, the church stands if this article stands, and the church falls if justification falls. Now, as familiar language of the Reformation, you, you expect to hear people like Luther and Calvin preaching justification by faith alone. But, you know, I think there's a common perception that before the Reformation, there was very little clarity on the issue. It's as if we expect before then the early church fathers to stand with the modern Roman Catholic Church. But it is just simply not so. And I want to show you what some church fathers said on justification by faith alone. I wish I could take you through uh, Romans 3 and Romans 4 for a good study of um, justification. Uh, but I want to show you what early church fathers said on justification to show you that evangelical belief in justification by faith alone is not a modern post-reformation thing. So here are just a few examples of the fathers speaking on justification taken from what could be a very long list. So Tertullian, um, he was clear, God will impute righteousness. That's different to the Roman Catholic understanding that righteousness is infused in us so it, it comes into us to transform us no it is a declaration that we are covered in christ's righteousness it is imputed to us 
Um, and this makes the just live through him. And he would declare the Gentiles to be his children through faith. Basil of Caesarea. This is perfect and pure boasting in God when one is not proud on account of his own righteousness, but knows that he's indeed unworthy of the true righteousness and is justified solely by faith in Christ. Another fourth century theologian, Marius Victorinus, equally emphatic, he affirmed, we know a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith and the faith of Jesus Christ it is his faith alone that gives justification and sanctification. Uh, the great preacher John Chrysostom proclaimed God's grace has allowed him that did no wrong, that is Christ, to be punished for those who had done wrong. Him that was righteousness itself, he made sin, that is, allowed him to be condemned as a sinner, as one cursed to die, so that we might be not just righteous, but righteousness, indeed, the righteousness of God. And in fact, while such clarity would become rarer from the fifth century on, in the early church, it's those who confuse justification with sanctification who are the eccentrics. Evangelicals stand in continuity with scripture, the early church fathers, the reformers, the Puritans, the 18th century revivalists, when they cherish justification by faith alone. This is non-eccentric, plain, biblical, Catholic Christianity. Justification by faith alone is at the center ground of the biblical gospel. It is the beautiful, essential consequence of the all-sufficiency of Christ, the only Savior. Meaning we can say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Thank you for listening to Delighting in the Trinity. If this podcast has encouraged you and you would like to stay in touch with the ministry of Michael Reeves, then we would love to invite you to become a friend of Union. On signing up, you'll receive a free book from Union Publishing. Then you'll receive regular exclusive devotional material from us. You'll also have the chance to keep up with the latest news and updates from the ministry of Michael Reeves around the world. If you would like to become a friend of Union today, follow the link in the podcast description now. Thank you so much. Over to you for Q&A. Great. Thank you. Uh, we'll start with, can someone who does not deliberately believe in the authority of scripture be saved? Um, yes, I think it is possible uh, for you not to believe in the authority of scripture and be saved. Um, to be clear, um, it is not your belief in a particular doctrine that saves you. It is your trust in Jesus Christ that saves you. It is faith in Christ and faith alone that saves, not faith and belief in the supremacy of scripture. But if you don't believe in the supremacy of scripture, then your understanding of the gospel 
will get skewed, but it doesn't mean you can't be saved. Great, thank you. Our next question asks, um, if you could comment on evangelicals only focusing on the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus without focusing on his teachings and miracles. Um, yes, I think there'd be two things to be said on this. Um, on the one hand, there is something that is right about saying Christ's death and resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, 4, are matters of first importance. Um, and that is not Paul departing from Jesus in saying that. Uh, Jesus repeatedly speaks of the crucifixion as the hour for which he came. That is why he came. And so to be centered on the Christ of scripture means to be cross-centered. But that said, yes, even so evangelicals have made a fault of not being Christ-centered um, and thinking therefore that Christ is merely a teacher of a nice way to live rather than a savior who came to die for us. But we have also made the mistake of ignoring um, his virgin birth, his life and his perfection, um, his resurrection, his ascension, his current being seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us. And these, so you mentioned teaching, I'd say all of those things are important aspects of knowing Christ that we are simply falling short on if being cross-centered means ignoring those other things. We don't, so uh, Christmas sermons are a good example of that. So sometimes a Christmas sermon will skip straight from virgin birth straight to uh, cross. And there's something wrong about that, though it is good to go to the cross. That is the hour for which he came. Great, thank you. Um, another question is asking, is justification by faith of first and critical importance? Yes, justification by faith is of first and critical importance. Now, let me clarify again, you are not saved by your ability to articulate the doctrine of justification by faith alone accurately. But justification by faith alone is a doctrine of first order significance. Um, it, it is not something on which we can happily disagree because if you believe that you are saved not by faith alone, you have to say my salvation rests on Christ and something else. And so your faith is actually put in at least two things. And so your faith is, well, Jesus said you cannot um, serve both God and mammon. You won't really be trusting in two things equally at once. And this was exactly Luther's um, own discovery that he would have always said as a young man that he trusted in Christ, but effectively he was trusting in his own works to have himself righteous and worthy of heaven and not in Christ, because you can't trust in two things at once. It is a first order issue, yes. Great, thanks. Uh, another question is asking, 
What about redemption in terms of honor and shame uh, in Romans chapter 2, 23, where Paul says that breaking the law was subsidiary to dishonoring God? Is salvation more than a legal status before God? Um, yes, um, salvation is more than a legal status. That is important to note. And I think it, it's only a rather eccentric um, cartoon theology that would say um, that salvation is only a legal thing, that it's only being given the righteous status of Christ. Uh, I don't think any responsible evangelical theologian is ever going to argue that, because you see in, um, you, you quoted from Romans there, um, Romans 3 and 4 are very much about the righteous status we have in Christ. But what we get to see in Romans 5 to 8 is there is no such thing as a Christian who is only justified. Uh, those who have the righteous status of Christ are given the spirit who transforms them into conformity with Christ. And there is much more going on in the gospel. You look at Paul's description in, in Romans 8 of what's going on in the gospel. There's justification right at the heart of our transformation, but there's the new birth, a very change in our desires, in our being, in our heartbeat. Um, there's adoption. There's our growth in holiness. There's our glorification. So, yes, absolutely, there is more than legal going on, but absolutely there is not less than legal going on. Thank you. Our next question is asking if you can clarify in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, which says, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe and trust in his prophets and succeed. So many Pentecostal and other church leaders seem to also stand on this scripture to show the authority of the words of a pastor or a prophet. Yes, when um, in scripture, um, apostles and prophets are spoken of, we need to pay very careful attention to the context in which they're spoken. So when um, in the Old Testament, we're reading of prophets, almost always, not a hundred percent we do read of schools of prophets sons of prophets but when the prophets are spoken of it is those authoritative prophets who are conveying the word of god which is written down in scripture and that's the stand that the people of god are being asked to make to be loyal to God's word of revelation given through his prophets and apostles there in the New Testament is normally and again the context is decisive is um, at least normally uh, given for um, the the immediate followers of Christ who are sent out by him who are then empowered to write scriptures as the prophets had done. Um, so we, we read of um, the foundation of the prophets and apostles. So it's not that 
kind of verse isn't giving us the warrant to say someone who would call themselves an apostle or prophet today, and I don't want to get into some of the complexities of that, but someone who would call themselves a prophet or apostle today, that doesn't mean there isn't warrant then say they have the authority of a Moses or a Paul. Great. Our next question is asking if you could re-explain or clarify the definition of eccentric and non-eccentric. Yes. Um, eccentric, the word is about, uh, it doesn't mean mad or crazy. Um, eccentric means to be off center. Uh, think of the word center in the middle of eccentric. So evangelicals are centrist in their belief. Um, we believe in the central first order things of the gospel, meaning we are not eccentric. We, we, we're not an odd little cult off the center of things. So when I say evangelicals are not eccentric, what I mean is belief in something like justification by faith alone or the supremacy of scripture. It's not that most Christians don't believe all that. They just believe in the Trinity and the deity of Christ. But then evangelicals have this odd little extra that they add in. I'm saying, no, that is not the case. These are central Christian things that to go against means you are actually the eccentric. Great. Thank you for that. Uh, another question is, we've talked about um, works and justification through faith. So is it fair to say that faith without works is dead? Uh, scripture says that. So, yes. Faith without works is dead. Yes, um, that's James 2. Um, what James is saying um, is that a true and living faith, the faith that justifies, will always prove itself to be a living faith through good works now that doesn't mean that those good works themselves contribute to justification it is faith alone that justifies but the faith that justifies won't be alone it will have fruit to it the, the consequences of that faith are good works but those good works do not cause justification they're the consequence of a living faith. Thank you. Uh, our next question is, oop, I lost it. Here it goes. John Baptist preached uh, baptism for the remission of sins. How do we counter those who preach baptismal regeneration today? Do you mind if we leave that for the next one as we look at regeneration? I'm sorry, whoever's going to do that. We've got a section on regeneration coming up. Of course we can. Um, then we'll move on to, we got time for one more question. Um, can the new perspective on Paul be considered evangelical? Why or why not? Ooh, uh, well, there's a big question to throw in <laughs> right at the end. Um, <clears throat> that might even need explaining to some people what that means. Uh, I don't know if I've quite got the time for that. Um, so the new perspective on Paul is um, arguing that Paul's main concern is who are the people of God? 
um, that faith is not, therefore, according to Tom Wright, how you get into the people of God. It is the badge that you are a member of the people of God. Now, um, in that, there is something that is very evangelical in that, in that Tom Wright has rightly picked out that the um, relation between Jew and Gentile is very important for Paul's theology. Look particularly at, um, uh, at Romans, especially second half of Romans, um, at uh, Ephesians. Th those, those are big, big themes there. Um, but that said, at one point, Tom Wright says, um, it makes no sense to imagine that God can impute righteousness because he says, righteousness is not a substance or gas which can be passed across a courtroom so in other words he says this idea that the sinner can have righteousness the righteousness of christ clothing him just is nonsensical because righteousness is not a thing you can take off one person and put on another that is not an evangelical thing to say um i'm not saying that tom wright is himself unevangelical but that is not an even une, that is not an evangelical thing for him to say because when paul talks about justification he talks about us being united into christ and is in christ we are clothed with righteousness therefore you see in romans 4 the blessed man is not the one who has no sins, as he quotes Psalm 32. The blessed man is the one who has his sins covered. The blessed man is like Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believes the Lord and it is credited or counted to him as righteousness. Righteousness is imputed to him. So this imputation of Christ's righteousness, being clothed with the righteousness of Christ, is a biblical thing to believe and therefore a primary evangelical thing to believe. To deny that is not evangelical. You've been listening to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. Union is devoted to growing leaders and growing churches. Our School of Theology equips leaders for ministry. Union Publishing supplies them and their churches with quality theological resources and books. Union Mission supports and financially helps church planting and revitalization. And Newton House Oxford invests in the next generation of theologians and scholars. Our vision is to see leaders and their churches the world over reformed and renewed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out about our courses and learning communities around the world, to buy union books, to discover support for your church plant, or to become a friend of union and support our ministry, visit www.theola.gy.